The opening one and a half minutes of Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many of you have seen that movie? It was released in 1981. Some of you weren't even born then, and you raised your hands at it. I talked to one man born after 81. He said this morning that it's one of his favorite movies of all time. And what, what makes the movie is the introduction of it. The beginning of the movie and all, it sets the entire mindset. It moves the emotions. If you were to watch the movie and eliminate the first one and a half minutes, it wouldn't be the same. You would find yourself trying to catch up, trying to figure out, trying to anticipate. It wouldn't be the same. But, but with every great movie, the opening scene sets the entire stage. It's crucial to really get the full impact of the movie. In a similar way, the opening lines of every, of every great story are set to, to be the stage, to be the lens which you hear the story. Every great book, the opening pages are intended to do that. I was thinking about this in the past year and it dawned on me, of course, that, that the ultimate book, the ultimate author is, is God. And so I began to look at the Bible and began to ask, well, is, is that true here? Is it true that the opening pages of the Bible, that they set the entire stage? Is it true that if, if you and I were to miss or not consider, not be uh, really mindful of what's in those opening pages, would we often miss what follows? And I, I found for myself that that is true. In fact, I found as I sat back and looked at these opening three chapters, the opening four pages of the Bible, that there are these four great themes that God introduces there. And there's some truth in those themes that he would intend you and I to, to read the opening pages and get those themes and get those truths, and it would inform everything else we read in Scripture. Everything else you and I would read in Scripture, if these themes were in mind to us, if we were mindful of them, then Scripture would come alive in a fresh new way. There'd be clarity we would miss. There'd be profoundness we'd miss. There would be worship we would miss in it. That's been true for me as this last year has unfolded. And so we're going to spend, spend four weeks on the opening pages of God's book with that mindset, is that if you and I would be mindful just of how he, how he begins the book every time we read, it would change everything for us. Four great themes. The first one we'll talk about today is the theme of creation. No surprise to maybe all of you in the room, that's the way the book begins. The opening line, most of you could probably quote the opening line in one translation or another. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then this creation story unfolds all the way through chapter 2, verse 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there are three profound creation things I want you to see in this. The first is this. It comes from the opening line. Is that God created everything. God created everything that exists. Everything that you, you will ever see with your eyes owes its existence to God. Everything you'll ever smell owes its existence to God. Everything you'll ever touch or taste does. Everything you'll ever hear owes its existence to God. In fact, you... And I owe our very existence to God. God created everything. 
There are a couple of implications about, about a creator of something. The first is this, is that everything is known by him. Because God created everything, then everything is known by him. That's just true of a creator and one's creation, isn't it? The 4th of July, we had our family over at the house, and Marie created the most delicious, huge bowl of coleslaw I've ever had in my life. And so we're all eating it, enjoying it, and we began to ask what's in it. And, and she was the only one that knew everything about the coleslaw. I'd been shopping with her to buy the stuff. I could have told you that, that part of it was this mayonnaise that had olive oil in it because they say that's healthier for you. I could have told you part of it is this Greek yogurt that's mixed in, the healthy kind, because that's better for you. But she started talking about other stuff that was in it. There was something about, now, now I may be wrong, forgive me, but I think she said there's something about broccoli was in it. I couldn't see broccoli, but I, again, I may be wrong. I think that's what she said. And then, then she described all of the nuts that were in it and these dried fruits that were in it and these fresh blueberries that were in it. She was the only one. She knew everything about her creation. She was the, the ultimate authority, the final authority voice of her creation. Every other voice about it was, at best, a partially informed opinion. I have a friend here. He may be here at this service. Maybe it was the last one that a few years back, he started a small company, started a small business. He's the creator of this business. I heard him speak one day to a crowd about his business, and he was talking about how it started and the dreams and the strategies and the visions for it. He was talking about how it was structured. He's talking about the performance of it. He, he talked about every piece of it. I was sitting back realizing no one knows this business like him. Why? And he created it. It is his creation. His is the authoritative voice about his creation. And every other voice at best is a partially informed opinion. So the book begins, God created the heavens and the earth, created everything. Everything is known to him. In the book of Job, chapters 38 and 39, Job has been, he's been through some really hard times. He's beginning to ask and wonder if God really knows what he's doing. And so this is how God responds to Job. And I'm going to just pick pieces of this, of questions he asked Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Do you direct the movement of the stars? Do you realize the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? He goes on and on. God is saying to Job, I created it all. I, everything is known to me. I know everything there is to know about this entire creation of mine, which is everything. And, and then the psalmist in Psalm 139, King David is writing about God being all-knowing. And this, this should be really assuring and hopeful and affirming to us today. David would say, O oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. Uh, pause. That's really good news unless you've just really done some bad stuff and may, that may not be too comfortable to realize God knows everything about you. But if you know the full story about God's grace and faith and all that, it's still good. It's still good. You know, you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. 
You placed your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Everything is known by God. The, the implication is this. When you and I read any other part of Scripture, if you and I understand how the book begins, then we know God is the authoritative voice on all that is. His voice is not just another voice. It's not merely an opinion. His is the authoritative voice on all that is. And every other voice is at best a partially informed opinion. His is the authoritative voice. So when we read about what he says about history or nature or the human heart or human relationships or life and death, about heaven and hell, about wealth and poverty, about work and rest, whatever he says, realize this is from the one that created it. Everything is known to him. To contrast, I, I just have gotten to begin reading uh, the draft of a new book by, by my good friend Craig McAndrews. Many of you know him. He's spoken here. He's part of this church. Many of you have read his first book. This second book I'm so excited about. I'm reading through the draft of it. And I told Craig this past week, I said, when I, when I read your book, and, and some backdrop of this, I know Craig well. He knows the Bible so well. His heart is fully bent toward God, really, really sharp guy, been following Christ for a long, long time. But I told Craig, when I read your book, as much as I respect you, when I read your book, every single line I'm asking the question, is this right? Is this what the Bible says? Do I agree? And it's just natural. I'm not, I'm not being even intentional. That's just what I do when I read. Except when I remember the creation theme, when I remember how the book begins, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. And when I remember the implication is that everything is known to him, then when I'm aware of that, when I read something in the book, then I know this is fact. This is true. I don't need to be asking. I don't need to be questioning that. This is fact. This is true. Everything is known to him. There's, there's a second implication of God creating everything, and that is everything is owned by him. Just the nature of a creator and one's creation, isn't it? Breeze Coleslaw. I she owned it. <laughs> it. It belonged to her. It was her right to do whatever she wanted with her creation. She made it, right? She could have taken it to the next door neighbor who watched her house while we were gone. She could have taken it to the house of a friend who was sick if she had wanted to. She could have taken it to a homeless shelter if she wanted. She could have kept it and eaten it all herself, couldn't she? It's her creation. It was her right to do whatever she wanted with her creation. Isn't that true? My friend that formed the new business, it is his creation. He has the right to hire and fire, doesn't he? He has the right to change strategy. He has the right to buy and sell. He has the right to do anything he wants, doesn't he? It's his creation. The same is true of God. Everything is owned by him. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. The implication is when I read Scripture, mindful of that, or when you read Scripture, mindful of that, then you understand that God has every right to do whatever he wants with any part of his creation, with every part of his creation. He has every right to command you and me what to do. Why? Because we owe our very existence to him. Now, he is our creator he owns us. We belong to him. We're his possession. That, that's what this theme of creation speaks. And, and you and I bear, bear so much fruit from studying scripture if we keep that in mind. 
But there's more. There's more. So the first, this first big picture is that God created everything. A couple of implications about that. But, but there's, there's a, two more implications, two more main points under creation as well. And I want to tell you something about how, how great writers write as well. This might help you with Scripture. Great writers will sometimes use repetition to tell someone this is important. Maybe repetition of a word or a phrase to say this is really important. So therefore, if you were to study the New Testament book of Philippians as I did in seminary, and you were to write a paper on it of several pages as I did in seminary, and you were to leave out any mention of the word joy as I did in seminary, you would get back some notes on your paper that would say, did you happen to notice that the writer in three pages mentioned joy 16 times? Well, I hadn't. And the person said, do you think maybe joy is an important part of the message God's giving? And I thought, well, maybe I should just quit and go back to the oil business. I, I can't believe. How could, how could any, anyone miss that? But it's stuck in my head ever since then. So I, I look, when I'm looking at reading Scripture, I'm thinking, is God repeating something? And so in this very opening chapter, some of you know about how God does some repetition. In Genesis 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then, eight verses later... God says, let there be whatever the next thing is. And then it's followed by, and God saw that it was good. And then again in verse 18, God said, let there be, and he did it. And God saw it was good. In verse 21, God saw it was good. Verse 25, God saw it was good. Verse 31, God saw it was very good. There's this repetition, and and this is the profound truth that God wants us to know now. And every time we open up a scripture, is that God's design for his creation is good. God's design for his creation is good. Because you're part of his creation, his design for your life is good. His design for your life is good. The implication is this then. As you read scripture, if you're mindful of that, when you come across the parts where God is saying, I made you, I created you, you owe your existence to me, I, I rightfully own you, this is what I'm telling you to do. And it's a command you think, oh, I don't really want to do that one then if you would remember that the creation story begins by saying that his design for his creation is good, he would tell you something only that would be good for you or good for me. There are different places that God says. It, it, he said, take, take wise counsel. Many places he says in, in Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. But there are some times in my life that I've decided I want to do something, and I don't dare ask someone else that's really smart because they'll tell me don't do it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have those moments? You think, I'm, I got, I'm going to keep my own counsel, made up my mind. I don't want any interference on this. So I, I got this friend this week that he was telling me a story about this opportunity that he had to take. And I've been gone a month, and the opportunity sounds so good. And, and I, I'm already writing the rest of the story in my mind because there's this beautiful opportunity. I think, how cool that he got to do this. But, but all of a sudden, there's this turn, and he says, I got this, this friend, this mentor, this advisor. I often ask him for counsel about stuff, and I told him about this great opportunity. And my friend said, do you realize how much risk you would be in if you took that opportunity? And my friend said, you know, I, I actually, I do that all along, but I was just going to suppress that knowledge of the risk I would be in. But I took counsel because God says to. I I took counsel and my friend brought this truth and I didn't take the opportunity. I looked at this guy and said, man, you've just, you've avoided a ton of risk that could have blown you up. 
Because you, you took what God said, and this man has come to deeply believe that God's design for his creation is good. God's design for this man is good. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, he says to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. And he says, you're not intended to, to be a light that's put under a bushel and covered up. You're intended to be a light that's on a hill. So people can see your light shine. In other words, he's saying you could see me, Jesus, my light shining through your life. And he says, so God will be glorified and honored by this. But there are times that it's hard to do that. There are times I'm in a setting, and I think if I, if I let that light shine, I'm going to be rejected, or I'll be looked down upon, or there'll be no fruit from it. Do you have times like that? There are times I'm just tired. I was in, Marie and I were in Eugene, Oregon for most of the month. By the way, it is so good to be back. Man, there's no place like home. There's no place like the harbor. So, so very, very good to be back. Yeah. So we're in Eugene, and uh, I, I went to four different McDonald's in Eugene while we were there it's because I, I love variety. They all have the same menu, same price, but I love variety, so I go to different McDonald's. So uh, four McDonald's in Eugene. By the way, Eugene, if you've been there, the footprint of Christianity is not nearly as large there as it is here. And you can tell that very, very quickly. A much smaller expression of, of faith in Jesus there. And so this one McDonald's I go into, it, it, you walk in the door, you can feel something's different about it. And, and as and it begins to unfold, one, the people working there, they're, they're energized, they're happy, they're joyful, they're serving people. You, you hear conversations happening around the restaurant. I looked at the back for some of There's a group of about 10 people. It's pretty obvious they're doing a Bible study back there. There's this guy that's his assistant manager. And as people come in, whether they're 15 years old or 75 year olds, he knows most of them by name. And, and they know him. He knows something about their life. And, and then I, I see him over at a table. And he's actually he's praying for someone. And then there's this guy that leaves. And, and this guy, Lane, who's a guy about my age, this assistant manager, he hollers out to the guy, thank you for bringing Jesus into this place. I mean, whoa, whoa. I saw, not the first time I was there, I was in that McDonald's many times, but another time I was there, I saw this uh, couple come in, and they, they probably, by their dress and by their accent, there's a good chance that they're of the Muslim faith. And I watched, I watched um, this man be intentional. I watched Lane be intentional to be the one that would serve them. And I saw him welcome them with such warmth. I saw him serve them with such kindness and such love. And he didn't mention Jesus at all. But I noticed that when they came in, they seemed, they seemed a little uncomfortable. And over a matter of a minute with Lane, I saw them relaxing and settling. And I saw that it's the love of Jesus being poured out. And, and then I talked to Lane one day, and he said, you know, I, I've been here 11 years. He's a sharp guy. He could, do, he could do a lot of stuff. He could make a lot more money than being an assistant manager at McDonald's. I came here 11 years ago. I just I figured I'd be here six months, and then God would have another plan. I don't understand why I'm still here. So are you kidding? Like, this is McChurch. Like, that's this, there are not many churches in town. This is McChurch. It's right here. It's, 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 this is the place that it's happening. Uh, I mean, you, you, are the, you are the light of the world, Jesus shining through you. This guy, this guy read the same verse I've read, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, this guy believed that God's design for the universe is good, and this guy has boldly gone out there for 11 years. So I wrote Corporate McDonald's, and I didn't tell him he was talking about Jesus because I thought he might get fired. 
But I said, uh, there's this guy at this McDonald's in Eugene, and uh, it is like none other. By the way, uh, this area is the second most populated area in the entire state. And in, in that four-county area, this is consistently the highest revenue McDonald's in the entire area there. And so I wrote to them, and I said, I said this guy... This guy is your special sauce, and I was hoping they would remember the jingle about the Big Mac that was back in my day. You know, the, the two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on two sesame seed buns. Okay, if you remember that, you're old or you look back on it. But, but I said, this guy's your special sauce. I mean, he, he, the warmth, the love, the engagement, the entire staff is alive. I said, I've been to McDonald's literally all over the country. There's none other like this. Why? This guy, he wakes up and he believes hey, the God that created, the God that said again and again, every time he made something, it is good, it is good, it is good. He believes that God's design for creation is good. He believes God's design for him is good. So when God says something, this guy just does it. This guy, if, if, I, if I can consistently read scripture that way, if I can hear his commands especially the ones that seem hard, that seem risky, that seem costly. If I can hear them, I can have this lens of the opening pages, this lens of creation. And remember this, and I will see these things differently. I will act upon them differently. God's design for his creation is good. And then there's one more thing that repeats as well in this, in this opening chapter of it. In Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8, It says, then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God said, and that's what happened. Verse 9, same thing. God said, and then blah, 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 let there be, and that is what happened. Verse 11, God said, and that's what happened. Verses 14 and 15, God said, and that's what happened. Verses 24, God said, that's what happened. Verses 29, 30, God said, that's what happened. There's There's this profound message in the opening page All that God says comes to pass. All that God says comes to pass. God spoke, said, let there be. A number of years back, uh, our our garage was built with this uh, huge loft space, but completely not built out at all. Can you all still still hear me? Okay. I can talk really loud. Um, so it was built with this huge open space, and, and a little while into living there, Marie said, I, w- I would really love an office up in the loft. And, and I, if I could have said, let there be an office, poof, you know, she would have had an office, but I looked at myself and my abilities, and I ain't going to be no office. And think about your own life. Think about you go home this afternoon, and, and there's this lawn that's way overgrown. It's even way too wet, and there are weeds growing. If you could just say, let there be an immaculate lawn, poof, would you say that? Some of you are going to go home, you're going to fix a, a meal. And when you love it, you can say, let there be coleslaw, poof. It, it doesn't happen that way. This, this loft thing, somewhere down the road, there are these two, two dear friends. They're not in the construction business, but they know construction extremely well. These two dear friends, they took an entire week of vacation. My two grown sons took an entire week of vacation. Marie pitched in an entire week. Even I pitched in an entire week, hoping I wouldn't slow the process down for my lack of ability there. It, it took six of us an entire week to build this 12 by 14, and we didn't have to grow the trees, and we didn't have to harvest the trees, and we didn't have to weave the rug together. We didn't have to make the glass that was in the door. We didn't have to make the door. We bought the door. It took an entire week, but, but God says, and it happens. 
There's this profound message. All that God says comes to pass. And, and you look at Scripture, and there's a place where God says to the Israelites, He says, I know, I know of this slavery that you have under Egypt, but I will rescue you, and it happens. God says, one day the Messiah, the Son of God, will come from heaven, be born on this planet, and it happens. God says, one day this Messiah will be crucified, and it happens. He says, one day this Messiah will rise from the dead, and it happens. One day the Messiah will send the Holy Spirit to live in those that follow the Messiah, and it happened in Acts 2. So I read at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to every follower, he says, I will be with you always. If I'm remembering the opening page, this theme of creation, I'm remembering then that all that God says come to pass, and, and I can bank on it. He is with me. When I read the passages that talk about someone yielding their life to Jesus and every single sin being forgiven, I, I can bank on that if I'm, re, if I'm just remembering everything God says comes to pass. When I read the scriptures that say in Philippians 4.19 that says, I will meet all of your needs according to God's riches in Jesus Christ. Then I, I bank on that because everything God says comes to pass. This is what God wants of us. And this is the beginning of four weeks of it. And let me invite the band to come up while I begin to, to pull some closure to this. And they'll bring even more closure in the song that they're going to lead us in. But this is what God would have us do, I think, because he's the best of writers, and he very strategically wrote the opening pages. And the very first theme he introduces is this theme of creation. And I think he would have you and me, when we pick up the Bible, he would have us have this theme of creation in mind. And these points that jump off that very first page, the first chapter, that God created everything, which means everything is known to him. So everything you and I read, we, we just, this is truth. He is the authoritative voice on everything. Everything is owned by him. He is the rightful one to, to direct his every piece of creation as he chooses to remember that God's design for his creation is good. And when you and I hit the tough stuff for us, remember his design for creation is good. And then to remember this stunning truth is that all God says comes to pass. So this is where I want to send you off, and, and this song is going to help, I think, fix this in your minds. I want to challenge every one of you to read some scripture every day this week. A lot of you are doing that already. Keep reading wherever you're at. If you're not reading scripture now, then, then pick a book of the Bible. If you've not read much of the Bible, pick a New Testament book of the Bible. If you've read it a lot, pick any book you want. And as you read day by day, be mindful of this very first theme in the, in the introduction, this theme of creation. Be mindful of that and see how God informs whatever you're reading. See how God speaks in whatever you read. See how it changes how you hear it and respond to it and how you worship. There's this theme of creation. There's a song we're about to sing. It's one of my favorite of this year as well that, that gives this picture of creation. I'll give you a couple of things that might make it even richer. Scientists today think that there are about 100 billion galaxies. Historians think that there have been about 100 billion people that have existed from the beginning of time, about 100 billion and, and uh, people say today that there are nearly 8 billion on the planet. So you'll hear those numbers, 100 billion again and again. You'll hear the, 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 the size of 8 billion, 8 billion as well. But, but this is a song, this is all about this God of creation. 
that brings us all the way full circle to redemption. So I want you to experience this however is best for you, uh, sitting, standing, singing, however you do, but experience this theme of creation in this song.
God of creation, this week, take his book, take his book, open it. This week, be mindful of this, this one stunning theme it opens with, his theme of creation. Be mindful that he created everything. Therefore, everything, everything is known to him. Everything is owned by him. Be mindful that his design for all his creation is good. His design for you is good. And keep in mind that everything he says comes to pass. Everything he says comes to pass. And then come back next week, we'll, we'll begin this second theme that God begins to unfold. It's, it's this theme of Adam and Eve. It's this theme of the human race that begins to, uh, un- to uh, unpack some profound insights about us, the human race. Come back and join us then. And then I, I must say this. Uh, I, I've talked about creation, and, but I haven't talked about how the story ends. The, the song took us there about Jesus at going to a cross to pay the price for every sin of every person who, who has ever lived, you, me included. And he did that so you would have the chance, and I would have the chance to place your faith in him. I surrender leadership of your life to him and have this relationship and have every sin forgiven and have this brand new life in him. And if you've been stirred today and you're at the point of saying to Jesus, I want to trust my life to you then, as I pray, then please pray your own prayer during that time. And tell someone today. If you're in process, if you're not ready to do that, but you have questions, then grab me down front or grab the prayer team or, or email someone on staff then. Uh, email someone on staff. Would you all let me pray and uh, dismiss to open the umbrellas? <laughs> Father, thank you for, thank you for your book. Thank you for the exact, perfect way in which you've written it. Thank you for how there's such profound truth in the opening pages that will help us be informed about every other page, that will help us be given insight about every other phrase, will help us have 
a better chance of responding in faith than we would ever have before. So, Father, as we go out, I pray you guide us and watch over us, but I pray we engage with you. Pray, pray we engage with you in your word, faithfully and in trust that you will work in this, that we come back safely next Sunday. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends. God bless you.